Welcome to Teaching Thursdays, an edition of the Better Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 57. The book of Proverbs is situated right in the heart of what we call wisdom literature in the Old Testament, including the book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. This book is probably the most well-known in wisdom literature in the sense that the book of Proverbs is regularly understood as the book all about wisdom, and you certainly see that again and again as the point of emphasis. But what's also interesting about the book of Proverbs is that what we learn about wisdom is actually not isolated to the Old Testament, nor should it be understood as just a way people in the Old Testament were supposed to live as the ancient people of Israel, and suddenly that shifts when we get to the New Testament. Instead, we actually see a really interesting case of continuity and connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And we're going to look at that today in Proverbs chapter 2 as a tale of two Adams, a tale of the first Adam represented by all of us as people who sin and who are in need of a Savior, and the source of wisdom, the fulfillment of wisdom in the New Testament, the new Adam, namely Jesus Christ. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Teaching Thursdays, and thank you for listening to the Better Bible Reading Podcast. Well, it's a privilege to be with you again this evening to get into the Word of God together, and I'd ask that you would turn to Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read the entire chapter, verses 1 through 22. And here's the word of the Lord. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver, And search for it as for hidden treasures. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of His saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart, and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land And those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked 
will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, we pray You would come and meet us again this evening as we seek to accomplish a proper understanding of Your Word. And we ask that we would think through these things for great benefit in our lives as believers. We ask that You would grant us a right understanding that informs us of who You are and who we are in light of that truth. And we ask these things for the sake of Christ and in His name. Amen. This evening, we're thinking about a tale of two Adams. We could say a tale of two men, but for the sake of continuity and what we'll be talking about, I decided to name it a tale of two Adams, because the Scriptures paint for us two Adams. And we alluded to this a little bit this morning, that the first man, Adam, seen in that first and second and third chapter of Genesis, most importantly, in the narrative presented to us. And yet, in Scripture, we're also presented with a second Adam. We think of 1 Corinthians 15 or the book of Romans chapter 5 where Jesus Christ is seen as the second Adam or even more profoundly than that, the last Adam. And it is that back and forth reality of the first Adam and the last Adam that we think about all through the course of Scriptures, from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And though it might not seem that way at first glance in this proverb, I hope to show you this evening that the truth of Jesus Christ as the second Adam and the narrative of Genesis and the narrative of Jesus, the second Adam, is saturating the text here in Proverbs chapter 2. And so as we start out looking at this proverb, the first thing we want to think about is just like this morning in the structure of Colossians chapter 3, we're yet again met with an if-then structure here in the text. You can see that. Starting in verse 1, working all the way through, you have an if scenario, verses 1, then again in verse 2, then again in verse 4, and then a concluding then in verses 5, verses 9, verses 16 and 20. And that means as we think about this proverb, something is being offered to us. We're not talking about mere practical advice here in this proverb. There's a very clear scenario being painted for us, if then. And the subject matter as it would become clear, I hope maybe you have an ESV Bible like me and you have a subheading that says the value of wisdom and that's a pretty uh, proper way of describing what this proverb is talking to us about, wisdom as the subject. Most importantly in verses 1-5, through the need for it. The need for wisdom. And just as we're called to wisdom in this, we should not just consider Proverbs the way that they're typically considered in Christian circles many times, right? You have the narrative passages. You have the clear teaching passages, such as Romans or Ephesians. And then you get to the book of Proverbs, and it's all about practical advice for everyday living. And while that may be true, that there, are, there is practical advice found in here, 
I want to show you that there's something much more playing out, something greater than just advice. So we think about this. Wisdom is promoted to us as a treasure, as something to be sought after. And the way that it is presented to us, interestingly enough, also connects with the way that Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 are laid out. And we'll see that as we move through this proverb a little bit more in detail. But first and foremost, I want to show you that wisdom sets the whole of our being into action. So the one who writes this proverb, first of all, makes a proposal. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. And then he follows in yet another display of the anatomy Just like this morning, except this time we're thinking about wisdom and notice how he does this. Wisdom concerns our ears, verse 2, our heart, verse 2, our voices, verse 3, our eyes, verse 4, and our minds, verse 5. Mankind needs wisdom. More than that, Proverbs 2 depicts wisdom as the narrative of the Christian life. You think about God in all of His wisdom. We read later in Proverbs, I believe it's Proverbs chapter 8, that God created all things through His perfect wisdom. The entire created order is a byproduct of God's wisdom. And so it can be said in addition to the created order in general is mankind in particular, that we display in some measure the wisdom of God in His work of creation. And as such, God calls us as men and women, mankind, to buy into this concept of wisdom. He says this to Adam when he gives the commandment concerning the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? He gives him a command. He sets limits to the way man is to function. And God is not so much taking away from Adam something that he really should be partaking in, but rather he's teaching him what it means to fall up underneath the authority and the wisdom of God and what he commands for his people. We need wisdom according to the writer here because it expresses itself in every aspect of our being. Wisdom is not just good practical advice of how to behave at work. That's not going to get you fired. Wisdom is not just the right way to react towards your children, towards your spouse, so that you don't spend the next night sleeping in your vehicle. Wisdom is much more than that. It is a seeking after the Lord Himself. And that's what I want to show you now in verse 6. Verse 6 very plainly and clearly teaches us the source of wisdom. Wisdom is in God alone. Wisdom is in God. We look to God for our wisdom. And that is a very interesting aspect of this because that means that wisdom can only be practical when it is first theological. Wisdom is founded and grounded and sought after in God. The Lord gives wisdom, verse 6, from His mouth come knowledge and understanding. Verses 6 through 7 show us that wisdom is not just in God alone in general, or God as just this notion of a creator, but more particularly, wisdom is found 
in the covenantal God. Notice that the writer doesn't just say, God gives wisdom. What does he say? The Lord gives wisdom. The covenantal name of God, Yahweh, the Creator. Not only the Creator, but the word that is used to describe how God interacts with us by way of covenant. That's what he says to Moses. Moses says, who, who should I tell them is sending me? When he's speaking at the burning bush and he's supposed to go tell the Israelites what's happening. Who, who should I tell them? And the Lord says, tell them I am who I am has sent you. That covenantal name of God in my Bible, in all caps, the Lord. And it's interesting as well, when you look at the book of Genesis, God is described in general terms, God. But by the time you get to God's creation of mankind, it actually changes to the Lord in the writing. So it's interesting that even with mankind, the Lord always deals with us in this covenantal aspect, this way of coming to be our God and communing with us. The Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. And notice the end of verse 8. What does He do? He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of who? His saints. Not only is wisdom in God alone generally, not only is wisdom in the Lord in a covenantal scenario, but even more than that, wisdom belongs to God's church alone. His saints, His covenant people. The covenantal God gives wisdom to His covenantal people so that His saints, His covenantal people, can be watched over by way of wisdom. He watches over us in the very wisdom that He gives to us and stores up for us. That's why in this evening's New Testament reading, Jesus Christ is said to be our wisdom. How do we obtain wisdom? Through Jesus Christ, who has become for us wisdom from God. We're not talking about mere human wisdom. We're not talking about simply philosophy. We're talking about the source being Jesus Christ, the Lord Himself, who gives wisdom for us. So the value of wisdom, the need for it, the source of it, it's not just a suggestion that we be wise. That's a good suggestion. I think I'll listen to that. No, it is an if-then. If we're in Jesus Christ, we are given that wisdom from the Lord Himself. If we're outside of Christ, we do not have true wisdom. We may have knowledge, but we don't have true wisdom. And again, that true practical advice that we normally call wisdom is grounded in that theological source being God Himself. Take a look at verses 9 through 19. 9 through 19, we have fleeting pleasures and foolish words. Wisdom is given to us as that which allows us to understand righteousness and justice. Verse 9, righteousness and justice, every good path. Wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding 
will guard you. It is this safekeeping aspect that God has for His people in giving us wisdom. What do we have to be kept safe from? What is there that is very much dangerous to us? Well, he says it in a few different ways, starting in verse 12. We have this wisdom so that we would be delivered from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, the paths of uprightness being forsaken, walking in darkness, rejoicing in evil, delighting in perversion, crooked paths, devious ways. And most importantly, in verse 16, so you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. This is an interesting note here that once we get to this concept of wisdom, the writer builds upon it by calling us all the way back to the garden. When we think of Genesis 1, God's marvelous work of creation, where mankind is the crown jewel, if you will, of His creation. We bear that image of God that is not true of the rest of His creative order. Then in chapter 2, the commandment is given. And in one sense, we could say that that commandment given is very much like that very first verse in Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my word and treasure up my commandments with you, think of Adam. Go back with me to the garden. Think of how Adam was to receive that command that God gave. God refers to him as, Son, receive my words. Treasure my commandments that I'm telling you not to eat of that forbidden fruit, not to transgress the commandment that I've given to you. And of course, we know what happens when we get to Genesis chapter 3, don't we? Things go really bad. Really bad. And so it is in Proverbs chapter 2. By the time we get to verse 16, the whole idea of wisdom is to deliver us from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words. It says that the serpent was more cunning than anything else in the garden. Satan, the one with smooth and cunning words to deceive God's people, in this case, Adam and Eve. He promotes to Adam and to Eve an alternative narrative to wisdom. Not the wisdom that's grounded in God. My son, if you receive my words, treasure up my commandments. The Lord is the one who gives wisdom. No, a different narrative altogether. You want to partake of this fruit. You're going to find the knowledge that you're after. You partake of this fruit. You'll you'll be like God. You will be your own source of wisdom. You will create your own narrative. And this stands in stark contrast to the call given to us in the first half of this proverb. Wisdom is the whole of our being and its only source, its only right source for right and true wisdom is God, is the Lord. And He gives it to His saints to protect us from the smooth words of the deceiver. The one who wants to destroy us. And this is an interesting way that he, the writer here promotes this forbidden woman as, as an adulteress. We, we see this sexual promiscuity here happening because in the life of Israel, 
God regularly refers to their unfaithfulness as that of adultery. In fact, he calls it the the whoring after other gods, pursuing a, a deep burning desire and longing for these other gods at the expense of the one true God. And that's exactly what happens here in this proverb. This forbidden woman that calls us to forsake the companion of her youth and forget the covenant of her God. The Lord made a covenant with the first Adam to obey Him, to listen to Him, to heed that true call to wisdom. And that call was forsaken. Of course, we know what happened. He partook of the fruit along with Eve, and here we are, right? A world of misery and sin. Her house sinks down to death, her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of righteousness. Just as Adam sought after wisdom outside of God and listened to this alternative narrative given to him by the serpent, so Israel, in her own wanderings, after being delivered from the bondage of Egypt, sought after these other gods, these other sources through the wilderness. But the story doesn't end there, does it? We don't read our Bibles all the way through to Genesis 3.14 and then put them down and put them away and cry ourselves to sleep, do we? Hopefully not. Because there's another verse that comes after Genesis 3.14, Genesis 3.15. In the midst of the curse, in the midst of this transgression, in the midst of the breaking of this covenant, God gives a sure answer, a sure deliverance, a sure victory in this new covenant, which we typically call the covenant of grace. And the reality of this covenant is that it's grounded in the work of God. It's grounded in full assurance and victory. One will come to crush the head of this serpent. It is a guarantee in the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason He appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to crush His head, to become for us true wisdom from God. It's interesting when you look at verse 20. Verse 20 says, So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. I Typically when I'm going to preach on a text, I like to make a good practice uh, of reading several different translations of it, uh, because there was one time when I didn't do that, and somebody asked me about a discrepancy between two translations. I had no idea what to say, so make sure that never happens again. But the, uh, there's, an, there's an interesting translation called the CEV, the Contemporary English Version, and though it's not extremely popular, it is... Nonetheless, a translation. And let me read verse 20 for you one more time. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. And the CEV tragically translates it as following. Follow the good example of people and live an honest life. I wanted to scream and throw my computer against the wall when I read that. Because... This proverb is an if-then structure. If this is true, this is the necessary result. 
And if Jesus Christ is the second Adam, is the second man, come to give us full victory and assurance. Notice, this is not written as a commandment. This is written as a promise of result. So you will walk in the way of the good. Not be friends with good people and make good choices. That's a commandment. And though we're called to commandments, this verse is a promise given to us. If this is true, if you will do this, this is the necessary result. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. Why is that? How can we say that that is true? Because the ultimate assurance we have back in verse 6, the Lord gives wisdom. What does that wisdom do for us? It protects us from the ways of evil. It protects us from everything verse 12 through 16 tells us. If the Lord has truly given wisdom to watch over His saints, so you will walk in the way of the good. There's the promise. There's the result. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. Again, these are the results, these are the necessary consequences of promise in the victory of Jesus Christ. This if then structure of the proverb calls us back to that reality that wisdom is the narrative. Of the Bible. We want to think now, particularly in verses 20 through 22, about the citizens of the promised land. Just to give you a quick refresher here, we've talked about the need for wisdom in verses 1 through 5, the source of wisdom in verses 6 through 10, the fleeting pleasures and foolish words of the world in verses 11 through 19, and now the citizens of the promised land, verse 20 through 22. That second covenant that God made, that covenant of grace grounded in the work of Jesus Christ, we are made a part of that by way of justification through faith alone. That belief, that assent, that resting upon the work of Jesus Christ, just as we have shared once in the image of the first Adam, in his condemnation, in his state of sin and misery, so we also now as believers share in the image of the second Adam, which is victory over the serpent. And how is that? Because Jesus Christ Himself is our wisdom. It might be interesting to note that in the Bible, when we think about the narrative in the book of Genesis, there's only a few books of the Bible, in fact there's only three, that talk about this interesting element of the garden, and that is the tree of life. And the three books that talk about this tree of life, interestingly enough, are Genesis, Revelation, and Proverbs. It's an interesting note that this tree of life is a very paramount part of the Garden of Eden, and it's given to us again, both in Proverbs and in the book of Revelation. And so as we think about that, I want to call your attention, you don't have to turn there, but I want to call your attention to Mark chapter 1 and verse 13. 
Because in Mark chapter 1, Mark, typical of this gospel, writes a, a very summarized version of some of the events that are traced out in a lot more detail in Matthew and Luke especially. But in Mark chapter 1, we, are, we come to verse 12 where the temptation of Jesus takes place. And while the temptation in Matthew and Luke takes up several verses of explanation, here in Mark it's a very quick summary. In fact, it's only two verses long. He just basically tells us the fact that there was a temptation by Satan, and that was about it. But it's an interesting thing that in this very short description of the temptation of Jesus, it says this, verse 12 of Mark chapter 1, The Spirit immediately drove him, that is Jesus, out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And not to read too far into this, but it is interesting that the Bible without question depicts Jesus as the second Adam. And where Adam failed in his temptation in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus was victorious. But even more than that, where Israel failed in the wilderness, Jesus was victorious here in the wilderness. And this passage, I'm convinced, speaks of Jesus as the true Adam and the true Israel. The true Israel in the sense that he was in the wilderness for 40 days and overcame that temptation by Satan, but also the second Adam who has proper dominion over the created order. Notice he was with the wild animals there in the wilderness, just as Adam, among his own temptation, was among the wild animals in the garden. But Jesus comes as that second Adam, the true Israel of promise, who overcomes the smooth words of the adulteress, the smooth words of the cunning serpent. Because it is, after all, what Satan promotes to Jesus is yet another philosophy, right? Philosophy meaning love of wisdom. But the philosophy that Satan teaches to us is not a true love of wisdom, it's a true love of self. It's to create our own narrative. That's what he tempts Adam and Eve with. A new narrative other than what God has previously told you. And that's exactly what he does to Jesus in the wilderness too. Here's a new narrative other than the reason that you really did come here. To destroy my works. We don't want to worry about that. We want to talk about a new narrative that you can pursue. But Jesus knowing that true wisdom comes in the Lord alone. Defaults to what? The word of God. True wisdom. He heeds the commandments of His God in our place for our victory. It's an interesting element for sure. So the glory of the garden was the tree of life. And it was also that which Adam failed to have the right to eat of. And when we think about that, we think about the fact that in the very next verse here, in the very next chapter rather in Proverbs, chapter 3 verse 18, it says of wisdom... It says this, She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast. There's that stark contrast from adultery, right? The opposite of adultery, forsaking the wife of your youth, is rather to hold fast to that. And it says the tree of life 
is wisdom to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. This touches on the narrative of the Christian life given to us first in Genesis, in the call to heed the commandment of God, and second here in Proverbs. But you know, Jesus talks about the tree of life too. In Revelation 2, verse 7, Jesus says that those who conquer will be granted to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. And this tree of life, again, is shown to us at the end of Revelation chapter 22. It is said to be in the New Jerusalem. And here we are again with that theme being played out. The tree of life is found in the paradise of God, Revelation 2. Speaking of that true paradise that we enter in because Jesus is the second Adam. And secondly, this tree of life is in the new Jerusalem because Jesus Christ is the true Israel. And we enter into that Jerusalem through Him and His victory. So our promise here in Proverbs chapter 2 is that we will inhabit the land and remain in it. We will inhabit the land We will inhabit the paradise. We will inhabit the garden. But we won't be banished out of it as Israel was banished out of the true Jerusalem of this world. Or as Adam was banished out of the garden of Eden of this world. No, there's a new one coming. And we will not only be welcomed into it, but we will remain in it. Because so you will walk in the way of the good. You will inhabit the land. You will remain in it. But just as that promise is given... There's also a warning that we have to deal with, isn't there? Verse 22, the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. When we seek after wisdom by means other than God as the source, other than the Lord, our covenantal God, we will not find it. We will find the wisdom of the world we will find what we might call the philosophy of the ages that has a nice ring to it. It is a way of life that seems right, but its end is the way of death. It is a reality that works for the here and now, maybe, but the fruit it yields is damnation and destruction. Beloved, we are heeded a great warning here Rather, we are given a warning that we must heed, and that is to receive the Word of God, to treasure up His commandments, because in those commandments are true wisdom. They're not burdensome commandments. They are the right way of life for God's people, because we are listening to the One who has created this world and has designed things to work the way that they should. And as we reject that reality, we reject that wisdom We're forced to make our own, which in the greatest definition can only be called foolishness. It's interesting that Adam was banished from the garden, Israel was banished from the land, but we in Christ, the true wisdom of God, will dwell in it forever. And not only that, but I'd like to close this evening by reading to you how the prophet Daniel depicted this reality. If the call in Genesis is to the wisdom of God, if the ultimate goal in heaven is to partake of that tree of life in Christ and through Christ, 
if the book of Proverbs is the method or the way by which we pursue that in the here and now by wisdom from God, then certainly we don't want to say that it's a stretch of our imagination to say that wisdom is the narrative of our lives. But don't take my word for it. Let me read what Daniel says. This is in Daniel chapter 12, and I'll close with this. Daniel 12, verses 1 through 3. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. What Daniel says concerning God's people being raised in glorified incorruptible bodies is that they are those who are wise. They are those who find their source of wisdom in God alone. They are those who are protected in this life and raised with incorruptible bodies for the new heavens and new earth that we wait for. Let's pray. Lord, as we think through our lives, we don't want it to be said of us that we have pursued an alternative narrative to that which is presented to us in Your Word. Rather, Lord, we want to be included and represented in that great vision that Daniel had of the wise who shine like the stars above. And Lord, that is only true of us if we are in Jesus Christ. It is only true of us if we, unlike Adam and unlike faithless Israel, are found to be faithful. And Lord, the way that that is so is that we are found in Jesus Christ. The perfect one, the obedient one. And Lord, we ask now more than ever that we would bear the image of the last Adam. That we would be sanctified day by day in your word. That we will pursue wisdom by treasuring your commandments, by seeing you as the true fountainhead of wisdom. And Lord, if there are those in this room this evening who are outside of that wisdom, I pray, Lord, that you would be pleased to offer them your Son, Jesus Christ. The one who saves sinners. The one who becomes our righteousness, our justification, and our wisdom. And we ask that you would do this for the sake of your name. In Christ we pray. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to that episode. I hope you have a better understanding of wisdom. And most importantly, I hope you can see the connection, the idea of 
fulfillment, building and building and building throughout all of the Old Testament and Jesus Christ as the fulfillment, as the consummator, as the great redeemer and rescuer in complete perfection. When we think about Jesus, we want to celebrate not only the fact that he has died on the cross to forgive us for our sins, but we also want to think about the positive aspects of his life, that he fulfills all things on our behalf. We look to him as the source of all things, and in this case, especially wisdom. If you want to check out more resources from the Better Bible Reading Podcast, just head on over to betterbiblereading.com. If you want to support the show and help spread the word so that other listeners can start to join in with all that we're doing over here on the podcast, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes. That's the best way that you can help me get the word out to other people. Well, have a great rest of your day, friends. And as always, thank you for all of your listening support.